Well, yeah, we're going to begin. Let people trickle in if they want to. Um, now, this is the baptism and godparenting class and not the parenting panel. So if you need to leave and go downstairs to, to the parenting panel with Cameron Cole, um, and now's your chance. No shame. Um, uh, why don't we begin? This is the... Uh, prayer um, from the 1662 Book of Common Prayer uh, that opens the service of baptism. So hence the, uh, the strange language. Let us pray, Almighty and everlasting God, who of thy great mercy didst save Noah and his family in the ark from perishing by water, and also didst safely lead the children of Israel, thy people, through the Red Sea, figuring thereby the holy baptism, and the baptism of thy well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in the river Jordan, didst sanctify water to the mystical washing away of sin. We beseech thee for thine infinite mercies that thou wilt mercifully look upon us, wash us and sanctify us with the Holy Ghost, that we, being delivered from thy wrath, may be received into the ark of Christ's church, and being steadfast in faith, joyful through hope, and rooted in charity, may so pass the waves of this troublesome world that finally we may come to the land of everlasting life there to reign with thee in the whole, uh, there to reign with thee, world without end, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So welcome. Um, Matt and I are going to have a little conversation up yeah. here. Um, this uh, is a little bit different. A little bit different. We were talking to each other. This is how coordinated we are. I went into his office the Tuesday, I guess it was. So let's just not talk any more than four minutes each, and we'll see what happens. So that's our plan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a it's a game of volley. Oh, it's a game of volley. Uh, for a few years now, the way this kind of started, I have had this idea that we we don't really know what godparents do, especially. Um, it's sort of a floating piece. Nobody really knows what godparents do, actually. It's kind of been out there. There's no books written on it. There's nothing substantial. It's been a received tradition for a long time. Now, the Advent certainly wants to continue that tradition. So it's just been on sort of my sort of distant radar. You know, we should do something. You know, pr you know write something, do whatever. Um, that's been on sort of my back burner for about five years. Don't know if anything's going to come of that. But then Matt comes along, puts together the beautiful Advent magazine. And I was like, well, gosh, if there's anybody that can pull something like this off, you know, it could be Matt. So I mentioned that to him. This class was kind of born. Maybe this is sort of a salvo towards that. Don't know. Both we're, we're all busy, but something like that. I don't know. If you have any feedback, that'd be great. So baptism and godparenting. Why do you want to say anything about that? That's kind of how this all started. And today's All Saints Day. It's the, the day along with um, Easter, uh, which traditionally are days for, uh, for baptism, for the entrance into, uh, from the exit of one life and the entrance into another, death and birth. Um, unless you were born again, you cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. So that's, um, that's why we're here uh, on this particular day. Anything you want to say before we kind yeah, of talk no, about I Romans mean, 6? It's funny, like you said, there's not tons written. Um, and uh, maybe we don't have tons to say. <laughs> <laughs> so my idea was like if, if Gil and I put together some sort of booklet for godparents, what I suggest is that we, we teach to give us an excuse to start fleshing some ideas out. But I'm also interested in having a conversation with you all uh, because uh, some feedback would help us to um, think about what is helpful for having in the booklet to help us think through things um, if we do do it. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I should say I'm a godfather to one child and I don't think that I'm like 
the model. <laughs> like I think Holly does most of the I think Holly does most of the work. Her 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 birthday or her bapti- her baptism date's like next week, right? One of birthday. Right, in May or something. So she look look how good we should have Holly up here. Um so I'll, it does just a caveat. So before we talk about baptism, let's talk, I mean, God parenting, let's talk about baptism. Um, a lot of places in the scripture to root. I think the, uh, the, 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 the best text, the, the locus classicus, big fancy phrase, would be um, Romans 6. Before we say that, also, uh, when I read this, I don't know, five years ago, I was, I was immediately there. Now I can't think of baptism otherwise. I think of baptism as a pickling. Why? Because in 200 B.C., 200 years before Christ, I've used this in a class before, so some of y'all may know this, uh, there's a recipe for how to make a pickle. Um, 200 years before 200 B.C., and it has the difference between two fancy words, bapto and baptizo, in the Greek. So you take a cucumber, right, and you bapto it. You immerse it in boiling water. Now you pull it back out, what's there? It's still a cucumber. So you bapto the cucumber in boiling water just to kind of prepare it. But then you take that and you baptizo the cucumber, you immerse it into vinegar, and what comes out? A pickle. How do you unpickle a pickle? How do you make a pickle go back to a cucumber? You can't do it. And so there's a difference between dip and baptize. You dip, you bapto, and it just comes out, and, and, and nothing's changed. But you baptize, and it goes under, and it comes out, and it's something completely different. It is a new thing. And so now I think, you know, I know christening is a great word, and we have babies baptized and all that stuff. I'd rather call it a pickling, truth be told. <laughs> you know, come to our pickling. We're going to pickle our kid. And what it was, it's not anymore. It's going to be something else. And so that's what I actually think of now. So I'm waiting for someone to pick up on this and say that you can come to our pickling. So with that in mind, here's Romans 6. And when you hear the word baptized, think pickle. Think dipped where you come out. You go in one thing, you go in a cucumber and you come out a pickle, you come out something else. And this is Paul in Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive alive to God in Christ Jesus. So I'm not going to make this an extended comment on the scripture. There's this, you know, it's, it's Romans. It, it's deep. It goes a long, 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 long way. But two things. Um, one, baptism it has two jarring images. Um, well, one jarring, one a little bit less so, unless you've ever had road rash. Uh, <laughs> baptism is, is death, and baptism is washing. The washing, 
you know, sanctified by the washing away of sin, like road rash. It's not like, oh, isn't this pretty? And you kind of do all that. You know, an open wound, and then you take, you know, a rag, and you pull it over, and it hurts. That's baptism. That's one part of it, to wash away the washing of sin. The deeper one, the prevailing image, I think, is death. That's why dunking, you know, that's why some traditions really hold on to dunking, because it is a, a visible reminder um, as we read, like we did today, what stories do we tell? We tell the story of Noah's Ark. We tell the story of the Red Sea. We tell the story of Jesus and the Jordan. The first two, they go under. The Ark's real pretty, and we think about rainbows and all that stuff, but really everything under the water is dead. It's really a reminder of death. Everything is dead beneath the water. The, the Red Sea closing over Pharaoh and his army, death. So what goes under dies, and then what comes up is raised to life. And so that's what Paul really wants to hit home with baptism. It's kind of a jarring image, because here we take our eight-day-old. That's kind of the tradition, the early tradition. And we, uh, we symbolically put him underwater and bring him or her back up to say that unless you die, you will have no part in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Unless they go under a cucumber, they can never come out a pickle. And so it's that sort of sense. And so in verse 7, um, and the bishop had a word on this, in fact, for one who has died has been set free from sin. And so baptism, lastly, and I'm going to pitch you the ball, what does it do? It is a radical reorientation, one that we can never say too much. It tells us that sin is not about behavior. We don't baptize our babies. We don't pickle our babies, or we don't become pickled as adults, simply to make us, as he was saying, better in terms of the visible actions that we do. He even had it in Rwandan, where, you know, oh, I'm not a saint. Well, because, what does that normally mean? I'm no saint means I do things on Saturday night that I have to come to church and sort of, you know, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. And it's saying, by no means. Let's get rid of this idea of baptism or, or, or church for sin management, for behavioral modification. It's talking about a condition. It's talking about I once was a cucumber and now I'm a pickle. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Paul's radical question here is, can you sin after you've been baptized? And he's saying no. And you're like, what? Wait, but I know what I do. And, and see, we're there. We're talking about sin as behavior. And he's saying, get off of the idea of sin as behavior, of what you do or don't do, say or don't say. We're talking about your condition. You once were a cucumber, now you're a pickle. Once you are dead you no longer have sin. Once you are dead, you no longer live to the law. Once you are dead, you are hidden with Christ in God, and now you are set free from sin. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Baptism is very union-oriented. We are hidden with Christ in God. So that's the emphasis. It's really important, actually. You can hear my sort of I get kind of in, induced about this. Um, I think I just made up a word. Um, induced. I get pretty. It's the that's right. It's the pickling. Um, we, we can't over. We can't state this enough. It can't be overstated. Um, we go in one thing. We come out another. And when you come out, you cannot go backwards. It's a very high view of the word being hidden in the water, and something happens when you come out. So that's the biblical idea here with baptism.
So Matt, any comments? Yeah, I mean, you said so much, and I, you know, I do want to make sure that we go to talk about godparents. Yeah. So you've given us a, a, a biblical, a theological thing to start with. This image of um, pickling and the, and the death, which is so powerful, and the connection to Noah's Ark, um, and um, uh, and so uh, and, and 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 then there are things too that we do that also other faiths would. Um, question uh, they would I mean people have died over this people have churches have split over um, uh, questions of uh, whether or not we immerse people uh, which you brought up with the, the image of pickling versus symbolically um, like we did this morning just sort of sprinkling the water the more the washing the, yeah the washing instead of uh, immersing um, or uh, the other question of at what age <coughs> should someone be baptized um, you know, on the eighth day, like Gil said, was hearkening back to the idea of circumcision in the Old Testament, and so baptism has um, some relationship to that idea. But uh, we certainly baptize uh, children before that. I mean, in the hospital, sometimes if a child we think uh, might uh, be at risk of dying, we'll baptize them then and there uh, on the first day. Uh, or at any age. Um, and then there's this sort of gray area of where can a child start to speak on their own? Um, and I think some face like demarcated at like 12 years or, or, or something. I can't speak for them. Um, but that someone should own up to this faith. But so here we do baptize uh, children and we have this tradition of godparents <clears throat> or you might say sponsors. And if, it, if an adult is baptized or an older child will say sponsors, um, and so what is their role? I mean, someone's gone uh, through this not speaking on their own. Um, the, I, I, I want to sort of talk about this idea without getting prescriptive, which is difficult to do. Like, how do I describe this thing? How can Gil and I sort of describe this idea of godparents without giving you, like, the top ten list? of like send a card on the anniversary of their baptism, which is a great, there's one right there. There's a great idea. <laughs> but I don't want this sort of project to kind of turn into that, but more of like what is the sort of underlying theoretical idea here and how can you through your own sort of um, maturity and creativity uh, <clears throat> be a godparent if you are one or uh, if you will be one or if you know somebody. Or maybe you're a parent and you'll choose somebody who will be a godparent. Like, how can that, that person or you, through their own creativity of understanding this theology, uh, be a godparent? Well, so what's the role to begin with? Well, first of all, with the parents at the service, you're speaking on behalf of the child uh, who cannot speak yet uh, for themselves. And so when you, there's the, the three renunciations of devil and evil. Uh, and then the three acceptances with respect to accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you're doing that, you're, you're doing it on behalf of the child uh, until there becomes, a <clears throat> there becomes a time where they can own the faith uh, for themselves. Um, and, so, uh, and so during that period, uh, how, can you, how can you be involved with their life? Uh, do you want to hand it? It's been four minutes. Do you want to volley back to you and you have some thoughts? Um, sure. Here. Uh, well, there's a few attorneys in the room. I was looking at the uh, the different prayer books. 1552 is when one of them was. Um, 15, 1662, 1928. These are the different books of common prayer in the Anglican tradition that we're in. 
and they call godparents in the role of surety. So maybe one of the attorneys would want to sort of chime in and what, what's, what's surety in terms of contracts? Isn't that the right realm? I don't mean to put y'all on the spot. So I can act like I know what I'm talking about. So any thoughts? There's what, four of y'all, five of y'all? What's surety? A guarantee, yeah. It's a person who stands guaranteeing the prom- as a promise uh, the conditions held by another. Is that right? Um, so somebody stands in a contract, and I'll be the surety for that contract. And so here's one of the here's the uh, the rubric in the 1552 service of baptism. It's a word to godparents. Um, this was interesting. I thought, uh, when did parents begin to be godparents as well? Um, that was in the 1928 prayer book. Was the first time that uh, parents could also be sponsors or godparents. Up to that point, the role of godparents, they named the child as near as I can tell, and that was carrying over from the Jewish tradition. I think where they didn't sort of, you know, didn't carry it over and all that sort of thing. Sometimes I think, this is still, I think, I'm not sure of this, in some of the Orthodox traditions around the world, uh, you know, when the child is presented at baptism, and we still say, name this child, it's a little bit of a dramatic moment. And then the godparent names the child. Um, Oftentimes that has a lot of meaning that's carried over to it. so here's the, the rubric that was in 1552 as well as 1662, same one. Well-beloved friends. Um, this is written in Old English, and so if I sort of stutter, it's because I'm trying to undo this. So this is addressed to the godparents. It says, The priest shall then speak to the godfathers and godmothers on this wise. Well-beloved friends, you have brought these children here to be baptized. You have prayed that our Lord Jesus Christ would vouchsafe, which just means condescend to promise, would vouchsafe to receive them, to lay his hands upon them, to bless them, to release them from their sins, to give them the kingdom of heaven and everlasting life. Ye have heard also that our Lord Jesus Christ has promised in his gospel to grant, that, to grant all these things that ye have prayed for, which promised he for his part will most surely keep and perform. Wherefore, after this promise made by Christ, these infants must also faithfully for their part promise by you that be their sureties, so the godparents, that they will forsake the devil in all of his works, they will constantly believe God's holy word and obediently keep his commandments. So a godparent is the bridge. All the reformers across the board, I heard Timothy George say that once, like 20 years ago, and I've been watching it ever since, and he's, of course, Timothy George is right, Dean of Beeson, said all the reformers, without exception, believed in infant baptism. And so all of them had people standing as surety for the promises that, I think it goes two ways, for the promise that they will make to God, but more than that, standing there to receive the promise made by God on the child's behalf. It's the radical demonstration that this is not our work, that God is the worker, and the godparents stand and receive the promise that's present hidden in the water that we're about to dip uh, are about to baptizo the children in that they're standing receiving the promise of God and making the promise back that yes this child is yours and no one else could make this child into a pickle except you and that's the role of the godfather that's the role of the godmother for how long up until the point of confirmation to this place sort of a floating time somewhere usually between 10 and 15 years old uh until uh, the child can confirm for his or herself the promises made on their behalf by the sureties of the godparents 
to say, yep, I received that promise. I'm not a, I'm not a cucumber. Nothing I can do is ever going to make me, I mean, I'm not, a pic, I'm not a cucumber, I'm a pickle. Nothing I can ever do is going to make me go back. I can't undo that which is done if, in fact, God has done that work. Um, yeah, uh, sitting here thinking about one thing when we first started talking was about the idea of <coughs> prayer in the person's life. I mean, if, of course, you, have, you should have. It would make sense to have a, a, right, a right, right, right. Right. it would make sense to have a relationship with a person where you're um, an older, wiser person. Uh, but maybe behind the scenes, uh, you, you might be praying. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to tease apart is the difference. Uh, between me as a parent of a child versus someone else who is the godparent of a child, and often uh, my sort of animal insti- my animal instincts kick in, uh, protectiveness, um, and um, and so it's helpful to have someone in uh, the child's life who uh, who might not have those same sort of emotions, uh, who can. Who uh, could speak certain words into the child's life, but also pray in ways that maybe like I couldn't or wouldn't want to, or just don't even know how to because I can't see the forest for the trees. I'm so blinded by the sort of everyday chaos uh, of my life in relationship with my child. Of course, I'm trying to raise them up uh, in a in a Christian uh, faith and life and household, uh, but my own sort of instincts as a dad just sort of get in the way and I thought what you had to say uh, was interesting if, if, if you don't mind. Sure, I do. I often cry at this point. Um, uh, a parent like Matt put it so well, our animal instincts take over. Um, you know, we possess. We have a possessive love and it's a good thing. I mean, animally, that's a good thing because it's protective. It, uh, uh, we don't want anything to come towards our children which will cause pain. But remember about death and the washing was road rash and all that stuff. It hurts. You know, I don't think parents, this is where I cry, I can't do this. I can't pray for my girls to hurt, much less to die. I mean, I can't pray that prayer. Now, when I was 23, I actually, I actually said, man, I won't go there. I, when I was young, I could. But that was before I met Maymay, had girls, anything else. I can't pray that prayer now. Maybe that's the role of Godparents, to actually pray the, pri- the right prayer, the prayer that needs to be prayed. Lord, thy will be done, as we say it every week. Uh, because as a parent, I possess my children too much to actually say, Lord, your will be done. As long as da 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 And without qualification, maybe the role of a Godparent is to say, Lord, that's not... That's not Gil and Maymay's child. That's your child. Um, I'm standing as the surety of the promise that you have spoken over that child. And it's, I stood there and I said, I will pray on their behalf that your will would be done. Whatever it needed, take that child and make it yours. So anyway, that's where I'm getting all teary and stuff. I don't know that I can go there as a parent. I just don't think I can. Not, I mean, I can say the words, but I can't really mean it. I'm going to run in there at the last minute and I'm going to take the bullet. Um, especially if there's a hero sort of aspect to it. Um, and that's, uh, that's all pride. There's nothing in there that's good. It's the role of the godparent, perhaps, to stand in that gap. Yeah, and so the uh, metaphor image that might be helpful to think about is the idea of being a foster parent. Um, 
if you can sort of go with me in terms of imagination. And I think this way even about, I'd like to think this way about my own children, um, that I'm kind of, even though I'm their biological father and Holly's their biological mother, we're sort of, at least at baptism, we become foster parents. I mean, we sang this song this morning, the children saying, welcome to the family of God, marked as Christ's own forever. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of handing over that, that that is their true father, capital F, and I'm sort of this foster father uh, who gets them through life. Hopefully they'll survive to 18 and a little bit after that and then sort of live life on their own. But as, as we've talked about, this is so difficult to do even into adulthood that a, a foster, I mean, a, a godparent can more easily step into that role. Of, of being like a foster parent. What's a foster parent? They're not the legal guardian. Um, someone who uh, is in their life uh, for a little while um, <clears throat> to bring them to a certain place until they can survive on their own. And, and that's kind of the, f- the period for a child who's baptized until maybe say confirmation, but you could probably say maybe even a little bit after that. Um, there's so many kids who go to confirmation who don't really even entirely still uh, understand uh, the faith. Um, we hear this, those stories so often. So at, at confirmation, a godparent shouldn't leave the child's life probably, um, still be involved, and, and maybe foster parent would be a, a helpful metaphor. Um, so I don't know, we offer all these things up. They're, they're about 10 minutes for sort of back and forth. Do you want to say any last things, Gil? No. No? Okay. Well, um, gosh, uh, uh, any thoughts about godparents um, based on things that we've said or things that we've missed or just questions? Yeah. And this is a question, and I, I don't want it to get us on the track, like you said, of prescription. Right. I love that, that you're not doing that, but it's so good question. Um, <laughs> no, that's so okay. That's traditionally, okay. Traditionally, like, and I don't know if I made this up in my head or what. I was, I mean, I was baptized Roman Catholic and then per- confirmed mm-hmm. Episcopalian. So I, ha- as a girl, I had two godmothers and one godfather, and the boys in my family had two godfathers and one godmother. And so I kind of followed that, but I didn't know one like where that came from. The 1662 prayer book. Okay. But yeah, keep going. No, that's yeah. good. I yeah. wanted to know. And, and, is that and it thing? wasn't there right. in the 1549 and 52. I don't know where it started. I was wondering the same thing. Yeah, yeah I was reading commentary that said 1662. Yeah. Uh, they, they, uh, it's a, uh, you know, again, uh, uh, well, it's, it's helpful, uh, but I wouldn't say that but it's a mandate. No, but it's, uh, you know, if, based on the thoughts that we've, expressed of the role of godparents and child's life probably an adult of the same gender could to um, more easily uh, understand and speak with a child although it's helpful to have someone of the opposite gender be involved in the person's life for for girls to have uh, men who are mature in their life is so helpful I mean to give them ten of those guys you know I mean but to at least have one I mean thank God especially if the parents if the father himself is immature you know I mean but uh, but but so yeah I think it's just wise counsel 
uh, but I've certainly baptized people who had like more people than were in my wedding party as godparents. <laughs> <laughs> my God, God, God army. Yeah, <laughs> which is something to say if we want to get into a little bit of just sort of practical nuts and bolts during this time. Yeah. I would say based on all that Gil and I tried to bring up today that you, if you choose, if you choose godparents, or if someone's asking you to be a godparent, think about it theologically. Um, and not in terms of like quid pro quo, like you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Uh, maybe you were in their wedding party, so you make them a godparent, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. That's not what it's about. I mean, it's about Christian faith. It's something that's so much more important. And another thing is people often confuse godparents with guardians, which is a legal mm-hmm. uh, thing that you put in your will if, God forbid, you die. Uh, that comes up so often. If I agree to be this child's uh, godparent, does that mean that I adopt them? Well, right away we know if we're going with the wise counsel of a couple and a third person who's from a different couple, that I mean that would make it even more complicated. So. So no, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but of course you could put in your will that one of the uh, godparents does become the guardian. That's a whole other issue. Um, uh, yeah, Holly. Well, I, I think like we've thought about this a lot because we are godparents of one little girl, and then we also sponsored an adult couple couple in their baptism. And I think that it's ultimately, in my mind, it's it's an extension of the fact that we are the family of God, that we're, that we are a family and therefore we're welcoming these people into our family and they, into, they are welcoming us into theirs, but also it's intimate evangelism. I mean, if there's anyone that we should be regularly, consistently praying for, that we should be investing in, in a spiritual sense, it's our God children. And I think that having been a youth minister, I feel like there, there is a unique ability to be there spiritually for another person when you are not biological family, when you are not responsible for them, but you are invested. Um, And so to me, the responsibility that we have and that the godparents of our children have is to, to care enough to be intentional about evangelizing our children and supporting them as they grow in faith. Um, And so we chose people that we, who we felt would, Strong. Take that off yeah. um, happily, but my brother is their guardian. Right. I mean, there well, would be. Um, I might want to revisit that. Strike the record. This is being recorded. No, um, but so evangelism is a helpful word. Uh, that uh, what we're interested here for the the, the 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 person, the baptized, is not outward behavior, but a, a change of of heart, uh, a conviction at a heart level, and that, that will come through relationships with people who understand the Christian faith, who can articulate it in a way that will reach their hearts. And, um, and so this is a place to start. Of course, it's not the only people, but uh, it's certainly helpful. Do you have any? Another thing. <laughs> Sorry, I think about this a lot. I have a really amazing godmother, so I think that that helps me feel passionate about this. But for example, I ended up going to the same college that my godmother went to without having known that that was where she went. They help you get in sororities. <laughs> but, but, but my point being that... That's number two that in the prescription. I, I do think that God can work in unique ways to bring people together in in God-parenting and, and that there can be prayers for that, that there might be fruit and, and unexpected uh, 
beauty to that relationship beyond what we anticipate or plan or prescribe. Yeah, Matt. I feel like a metaphor that I've heard before that sounds like it may be wrong is kind of like a relief pitcher. As long as the starting pitcher is doing okay, I'm you know I'm there. I'm in the bullpen, but who's the starting pitcher? Starting pitcher would be the father or yeah. the mother. The godparent would be the relief pitcher. Uh, but it sounds to me like maybe the the, the godparent role may be more. Yeah, good strong shortstop. Strong up the middle. Yeah, it's, it's doing something that the parents can't do. Yeah, this is a great question. I want to get to Lila's too. Someone jump in if that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, godparents are a tradition. They're not probably not not probably they're, they're not biblical. They're not abiblical either. So that's why we have them. Um, you know, we can have things in our tradition that, uh, as long as the Bible doesn't proscribe them, um, we we're happy to have them. Godparent would be in that realm. I wouldn't even say parents are the Bible's answer. It's the community, the community around which you know all raise the child. Um, so, in that sense, is a godparent or good strong relief pitcher? You know, it's not a poor metaphor. It's not a poor analogy. Uh, uh, probably in each sort of local option, uh, could be a good strong relief pitcher. Maybe want to embolden that a little bit more and say you're actually something wholly other. You know, you're sort of the, the number two starter, number one starter, something else like that. Um, and to, the churches can to have them. Exactly. It's New York. So, <laughs> um, where, uh, you know, so you can pick a metaphor and go with it, but all of them have a limit. Um, the foster parent has a limit because the adoption is sure long before, so the foster parent doesn't carry him over until that time when the adoption from the Heavenly Father comes down. You know, that's a helpful analogy, but it's not it's perfect. Not perfect yeah. um, so I don't know if that helps. It's, it's, I think it's helpful. But the Bible's answer is not godparents. The Bible's answer is not father and mother. Because it says, unless you hate your father and mother, you can be no part of me. That's kind of that possessive love that I was talking about. I think the Bible says, look, unless this happens, which is actually impossible. So the law is saying, you know, here's what you should do. You just don't have any power to do it. So you need something else, another outside force, to take your child, put them under the vinegar so they come out of pickle. Luckily, we've been given that in the places. Lila? I'm glad you said that about quick, slow, slow. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, I had three gosh, One of them, I was maybe out of eight years old. And I had no idea. And, and with a lot of my men, they were, but when I had children, all of a sudden, I thought, wow, this is really a big deal. And um, when Don and I were choosing, like, for our children, I thought, you know, there are going to be times when I mess up, and I am not going to get right in the center. And so I looked, what we look for were people that would stand in the gap for us. I mean, in their spouses, that we could look at their lives and the way they lived, and they were strong examples of that. I mean, that was something that was really important to us. Yeah, and I mean, it's a great. Um, yeah, eight is probably too young to become a godparent. I mean, you know. Yeah. But you know what? But well, maybe God will work through that anyway. You know, I mean, through the mis- the sort of mistakes that we make, and uh, you could still be amazing now as an adult. You know, um, but. Uh, to bring it full circle with the choice of the godparents back to the idea of not trying to turn at least this session into something that's highly prescriptive. If you choose the right people who you know will have the maturity and creativity to to make good choices of 
what to do at the practical level, we don't even need to have that conversation. They'll be the type of people who will say, like, maybe it's a good idea on their birthday to send them a gift or on the date of their baptism or X, Y, Z. I mean, there's so many different ways. Uh, and then, uh, you know, how, how, to, how do I be an uh, effective godfather to my goddaughter who lives in Washington, D.C., and I live in Birmingham, Alabama? You know, I mean, that's something to, to take into consideration, but I still am, and Holly's still her godmother, so how do we, through our own volition uh, now at a distance, figure out how to, how, to, how to best do that? Prayer is a place to begin because, you know, I can live anywhere and still do that, but how in a sort of relational way can we be involved with this child's life. Do you have any last thoughts, Gil, before we have to wrap it up? Um, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I think, I don't know if what, where we'll go from here. You know, I mean, the, I just ran into this uh, booklet, and I don't know if this is the one that we send out. Is this the one we send out? Um, I'll, <coughs> I'll have to, I'll have to look through it. But we, w- we want something to give to parents and godparents around this topic. Maybe it's just a two-page handout because we don't have tons to say. I don't know what. But, we did um, get one once that told us that they recommended we send a large portrait of Jesus to our godchildren. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who the artist is. <laughs> um, if he looks like... Uh, an Anglo-North American (laughs) 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 probably not accurate Uh, but uh, so anyway I hope this is helpful for you in in whatever way it needed to be helpful and maybe we'll do it again as a follow up I don't know Gil and I will have to talk and uh, and maybe we could try to get a little more practical at the, the follow up session but we'd love to hear your thoughts talk to us whenever or um, send us an email uh, if we do develop something. I would like some, some community involvement um, and, and, and uh, feedback on, on what we provide. So uh, go in peace, love, and serve the Lord. Peace be God. God.